Well, hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. This is episode eight, we think, but we're we never, never really entirely sure. sure. I think we should just call them all episode seven, this since we're Seven a, Sisters. Yes, yes, this is another episode seven from Seven Sisters, and I'm one of your hosts, Sabrina Justison, here with my co-host, Vicki Tillman. And today we also have with us Seven Sister, Kim. And so we are happy to be with you again, and we are delighted to have listeners who tune in again and again for encouragement and ideas, and perhaps you tune in to make fun of us. That's okay, too, (laughs) as we talk about all things homeschool, high school. Today, we are going to be sharing with you some ideas for choosing high school curriculum. And uh, before we get to that, we want to just celebrate with a lot of you who are counting down to graduations. When we are recording this, whatever number it is, it is uh, the end of April, and we have lots of friends who are buzzing and buzzing about their caps and gowns and their oldest child or their third child or their youngest child child or who knows, getting ready to march down that that graduation aisle. So we, we have lots of memories of our own, of our many, many children. Who made it to graduation? Oh, mm-hmm. what did we count? Like thirty of our kids? Uh, something ridiculous. Something, something like, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. twenty-six, twenty-seven. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, yeah. It was a lot. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot. Absolutely. So let's see. Our best tip. The best tip we can give you if you are using mm-hmm. a traditional cap and gown for a kid's graduation is take it out of the package several days before and hang it up, so that the creases fall out of it, but do not iron it or it will melt and adhere to your iron. And it looks so funny marching down the aisle with a big hole. Yes. (laughs) Or or the big shiny spot if you don't quite get to the hole. But it doesn't look much better if you march down the aisle with the folded creases from the packaging. So give it a couple of days on a hanger. And it will look just lovely. Mm-hmm. What, what else did we learn? It, it also looks funny when you march down the aisle to be wearing shorts and chucks. <laughs> yes, because people will see your calves and your <laughs> shoes. And oh, and if you do a graduation rehearsal, if you're graduating with a group, a co-op, an umbrella school, anything like that, if you have a rehearsal, a great thing that we thought of after a couple of years of not thinking of it was to take a class photo at the rehearsal so that we don't interfere with family celebration time, the, you know, the night of the actual ceremony. But if that's the case, warn the kids about what is going to show below the robe, because we had some rather unprofessional looking <laughs> class pictures that showed up. Lots of hairy boys' legs and ugly sneakers. and. <laughs> These very dignified cap and gowns and these hilarious footwear. So it's kind of like the brides wearing their tennis shoes under the dresses, only those don't show. Right. No, <laughs> anyway. Right. But in, enjoy it. And if you're looking forward to a graduation this year or if you have friends whose kids are graduating, we can also uh, help you get ready for graduation parties over on the blog at sevensistershomeschool.com. Seven Sister Allison who is the queen of all things hospitality and catering and all that stuff. Uh, She has done a series of posts on how to throw graduation parties, have fun doing it, save money doing it, make it awesome. And there are also posts on how to be an awesome graduation party guest. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes guest skills are 
not as solid as perhaps mm. they should be. And we can all use a little encouragement on how to be a really awesome guest. It builds one's confidence to know what to do. It does. Absolutely. And it makes your hostess happy if you offer to help in ways that are truly helpful rather than ways that make her crazy. So check out those blog posts. They're lots of fun, too. All right, well, let's get down to it and talk about homeschool, high school curriculum choices. This is intimidating for some of you, especially those of you who maybe have middle schoolers right now and you are looking toward high school with fear and trembling, because we all know that if, as parents, we make any mistakes at all in curriculum selection for any of the four years of high school, our children will indeed be ruined for all time. Is that, that correct? It's very true. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I think it's in the Bible, even, yeah. somewhere yeah. it yeah. says that. Yeah. So, no. You do okay. know we're kidding, right? <laughs> if, if anybody just, like, lost their lunch, we're sorry. <laughs> just kidding. And that's the first step in choosing high school curriculum. Absolutely. Laugh at yourself. Take a moment. Stare your fear in the face. Absolutely. Call it out for what it is. It's not true. Absolutely. And then have a good chuckle. Absolutely. And now you're in a good place. You've gotten some oxygen flowing to your brain with that belly laugh. <laughs> now we can talk about what to do. And so the first thing you do is write down, there is not one way to do homeschooling high school correctly. Amen, sister. Oh, yeah. And then after you do that, what do you do next, Vicki? Because yes. you've done more of this yeah. than the rest of us. Well, more advising. Than more advising. <laughs> more helping people learn how to choose high school because, curriculum. Yeah, was part of one of my jobs. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> been to advise homeschool high schoolers. So, well, you, you want to make some wise decisions for your kids, right? So, oh, yeah. so uh, most of us, of course, the first thing we have to do for choosing curriculum, we have to evaluate the cost. Because most of us, if we are wise and took, take um, financial literacy along with our kids, ah. mm -hmm. um, have a budget for homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So what do y'all think about cost and how it factored into what you guys did? Oh, it was, it was a big, big factor. And sometimes it meant splurging on something, but then kind of maybe working something else out in a co-op or with a library or... Like a really affordable ebook, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, ebooks. Sorry, bring, shameless plug. It's okay, but ebooks e do bring a nice. I wish that ten years ago I had had mm. some of those yeah. options for for something that would have been ten or fifteen dollars less. But bartering was a huge part of mm. high school for us. Mm -hmm. um, I was huge. on a very limited budget for, especially the early years with my two oldest in high school, and for part of that time I was a single mom. Like I was on a mm. really limited income. And I found that if I was willing to grade other kids' writing assignments mm -hmm. for their moms because they really hated teaching writing and grading writing, mm -hmm. that I could get those moms to help my kids with math or science or foreign language that I didn't have the ability to do. Yeah, I did a lot of volunteering myself, mm -hmm. especially in activities that I wanted my kids to be part of oh my. so that it would reduce those costs, you know, kind of bartering things out. And then that gave me more money to spend on the, the curriculum itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think reading customer reviews before I order stuff was very helpful, too. I would use the internet now probably a little bit more than I would have 10 years ago. There weren't as many reviews mm -hmm. online, and so I had to go and find people in my local community who had used it and talk to them. 
but definitely a way to manage cost for me was to talk to people who homeschooled with a similar philosophy to mine and then ask them what they thought of this. And it's very, very okay to tell somebody if they ask you, this is a great curriculum. It's a lousy fit for our family. You're, mm-hmm. you're, not, you're not dissing good quality work if you mm-hmm. just say, it's not going to be for you if your kids hate repetition and hate, you know, what, whatever mm-hmm. the... Because there's not one right way to homeschool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so once you have thought through cost, then what else matters in choosing high school curriculum? So, as we pass our piece of paper around. Well, I can, I, I, I'll talk about the next one, because that was huge for my family. Go, Kim. Was appeal. Um, and sometimes it meant appeal to me as the teacher or facilitator, you know, as my kids got older, but also for my kids. And it actually relates a lot to what Sabrina just said. I think with one of my children, we went through seven geometry curriculum until we found the right one. And once we that's found, a lot of geometry. <laughs> and, that was coming. and I don't mean that we completed them all. <laughs> oh my word! Notice the number seven, though. I thought that was pretty that cool. Was, that was good. That was cool. Yeah. You um, really only needed six, but yeah, you got to the sixth book, and, and I you thought, thought, let's just do one more. Seven, to make it seven is such a better number, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at one point, I had found a math curriculum that I loved, that I thought would be great for my kids, but unfortunately, my kids never thought that, and so it was never quite as successful, perhaps, as if I had dumped that and gone to something that was more appealing to them. So it's okay for your kids to actually like the curriculum that you're using. And conversely, it's okay for mom to say, I just can't work with this. Because Mm -hmm. if you're involved too, if it's not a a truly independent learning Mm -hmm. um, experience for your kid, it's got to work for you too. Absolutely. Like when I'm working with my kids, if it didn't have pretty pictures in it, Mm -hmm. I couldn't use it because I have a short attention span. It's okay to own it, people. It's okay to own it. Uh-huh. It's important to own it. All right, so yeah. we think through cost, and then we think through appeal. Now let's talk about the actual academic chunks of it, the, the strengths of a particular piece of curriculum. And the strengths of our kids, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, each curriculum has something that it specializes in, like some math curricula covers a lot of repetition, so it gives little chunks and then a lot of repetition, and some has humor in it, and so it makes it more appealing. It, that's the strength. Um, but also our kids have strengths. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my kids, most of them weren't math kids. And so we needed very short lesson, concrete ideas because we all hated math, <laughs> except for one of them. And so so we had to choose curriculum based on our, my kids' strengths. Mm-hmm. So, um, And also that, that uh, in their like language arts things. Mm-hmm. then that was one of their strengths. We really chose things that would be high interest to them. We had natural writers in at, le- at least three of my kids were, were definitely what I would consider to be natural writers in that language rules and grammar and spelling just made sense to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so pretty early on in high school, we quit doing separate grammar right. and spelling. And I had mm-hmm. a lot of friends who were using... 
a grammar curriculum and a spelling curriculum mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. And we instead went to the proofreading thing. If they right. were and the editing thing, if they were going to do a lot of writing, which I was certainly going to require them to do as strong natural writers, right? Then they were going to spend a lot of time honing and refining those grammar and spelling and syntax issues by editing and rewriting their own work. Mm. And that that worked for us and it wasn't going to work for other people. So it built on your kids' strengths. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my kids, I have one in particular that just still to this day, uh, doing well as a college student, says, the English language just makes absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually kind of did some of the same things. Like it was going to be really pointless and highly frustrating to continue working on some of that basic stuff. So we went to things like free rice for uh-huh. vocabulary, which was much more entertaining and felt like it had a greater purpose beyond making sense of this language that just made no sense. So freerice.com yes. is a, a website and the World Food, World Health Organization, somebody. I think it's World Health. Yes. Gets grains of rice every time the kids get a right vocabulary word in a game. Mm-hmm. So they get their SAT kind of vocabulary without a uselessness to it. So. Absolutely. And I even found that I was doing it, too, because it was helping my vocabulary. Me, too. We would have free rice races yes. in our house. Like, you could get the most... <laughs> most most grains. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Fun stuff. Absolutely. Fun stuff. So, you know, part of then what they want is to deal with their interests. We want to take our kids and build not only in their strength areas, but also their interest areas. So what do our kids love? And that's a good way to choose curriculum. So we won't let's, put our efforts let's in t- that. stop for a second and just take one step back from this idea of what do our kids love and mm-hmm. interests. I have recently heard some folks who have 8th, ninth, even 10th graders saying that they're a little concerned because their kid is interested in so many things mm-hmm. and they feel like they need to sort of pick one and buckle down. So you've, mm. you've had a lot of years advising a lot of families, Vicki. How do we find, how do we encourage one another to find that balance to encourage a variety of interests, and at the same time to help our kids find what they truly love. All right, so I was reading some research the other day that was really interesting, and it kind of um, reinforced our philosophy here locally, was high school teenage years are about exploring. And for most kids, they don't need to buckle down to one thing, unless you got this, like, you know, virtuoso violin player or gymnastics kid or something like that, or they're they're so brilliant scientifically that they finished physics in sixth grade. Mm. Like that most kids need a broad exploration of interest. And that way um, they they relaxedly, is that a word? It is now. Sure. Relaxedly. <laughs> relaxedly. Absolutely. Type, type that in at freerice.com. <laughs> <laughs> But they, 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 in a, they had a word that it was a scientific word, but anyway, about being relaxed and enjoying the exploration Mm. and that helps build their academic confidence, but also parts of the brain that need to develop in adolescence. And so, yeah, it's a whole research article on it. So take your time and let your kids say, Hey, I'm interested in this or I'm interested in this and it's okay. They don't have to be the world's expert by the time they graduate. Wow, that's really interesting. I was just talking with a group of high school students yesterday who were starting to look at what they wanted to do the coming year. 
And one of our juniors said he just cannot wait to be done high school because he wants to be able to focus on his interest area. And I didn't burst his bubble. It was in a group (laughs) setting. And all I thought is most places going to college, you are still going to need to end up taking literature and maybe a humanities or an art appreciation class. Wait till grad school. And yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll be he'll be kind of surprised. I might whisper in his ear yeah. later. <laughs> but it's okay if you've got a kid who just is born focused. So there's not one right way to homeschool. Well, and since we're specifically talking about choosing high school curriculum, if you have a kid who is very, very interested in one particular area, you can often use that as a springboard to how you are going to attack the other areas academically. Mm. Um, Vicki has done a, uh, several posts on the blog at sevensistershomeschool.com where she explores how to combine credits, how to take a kid who mm. is fascinated with Civil War reenacting, mm. and then how to pull their fine arts and their literature and their research writing all under that umbrella of interest mm-hmm. so that the kid stays highly motivated. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of ways that you can use a child who does have a strong interest. You can use that interest to wisely choose an un... What's the word I'm looking for? Unrelaxed? Uh, unrelaxedly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Other Sorry, academic subjects that are not obviously related mm-hmm. to that, you can relate mm-hmm. them to it. Yes. And <laughs> another... Thing to develop under interests is to help their kid, your kids find their interests. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes they have no clue what they're interested mm-hmm. in. So one of the the I think best things that we did with our kids when they were in high school was to have literature for a year on a topic. And mm. so you know, they had American Lit for a year and Brit Lit for a year and World Lit and. Um, my youngest son's favorite literature course was Great Christian Writers. Mm. That was many, uh, several of my children. I remember that one. class because <laughs> I got to teach that class and it was wonderful in our local yeah. co-op. It was mm-hmm. a really neat class. And actually we have pulled those literature study guides together and are releasing them as a bundle for one year's worth of literature, Great Christian Writers. And that will be released um, in the bookstore at sevensistershomeschool.com here at the beginning of summer 2016. So we're delighted to be able to share that with you. We did another year, we had some kids who were interested in um, Frank Peretti's books. Mm-hmm. And we did a one semester where we, we called it Peretti and Beyond. And we mm-hmm. read several of his books and then also some similar authors mm-hmm. and had some pretty amazing discussions and writing assignments that grew out of that. Um, yeah, definitely run with the things that do grab their interest or -hmm. if they don't know they're interested expose them to new things absolutely absolutely all right yeah so you examine cost and you think about what is appealing and then you look at your kids academic strengths and the strengths of the particular curricula that you are considering and you explore their interests and now you want to you want to look at abilities and the ability to adapt and not be stuck in one thing. So let's talk a little bit about cultivating flexibility and adaptability in our kids via our choices of curriculum. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing, if you can find curriculum that is adaptable to your kids' strengths and interests so that you can level up 
and make more rigor if they're very interested and need to show some some rigor on the transcript. Like most kids who are applying mm -hmm. to colleges need to show some rigor. Um, but some kids aren't college bound or don't need rigor in a certain area. So if you have a curriculum that's adaptable, it's interesting. SevenSistersHomeschool.com. All of our curriculum, <laughs> All of our curriculum <laughs> is, is adaptable. easily adaptable. And the instructions for adapting it come right in the, the how to use this book. So you can adapt it for an average high schooler, or it has instructions on leveling up to advanced or honors, college prep. So, so the amount of rigor your kid needs is built in. That's because we've homeschooled our kids and they all had different needs. Because there's not one right way to homeschool high school, apparently. Indeed. That's what we found. <laughs> I've heard that rumor. And, and while our curriculum is very specifically and very, you could pick it up, read something, and know exactly how to adapt it for different levels, even if you're using something that doesn't have anything like that built in, you're the teacher and you're in charge. And so we, we would just encourage you to have the confidence and the courage to know yourself and know your own students and you can do that with all curriculum, too. The curriculum is your starting point. You're the teacher. Have the confidence. Go for it. <laughs> all right. Preach it, Kim. Yeah. Yeah. When my daughter was doing higher level math in high school, and it was something I was terrible at, and I had bartered with another mom, and she was teaching um, Algebra 2 to my daughter, and there were a couple of chapters where Becca just was totally getting it. It just was making sense, and she was getting it. And so this other mom said, okay, you can do half of the problems in each lesson for the next couple of weeks. And if you start getting them wrong, we'll go back and do all of them. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're mastering the concept, there's no reason to beat you to death with repetition. And it was, it was lovely for me as her mom to see someone else mm. as her teacher, having the confidence to do what I had done many times, but often a little sheepishly, you know, am I really allowed to not make them do every assignment, but I can see that they get it. So but it really is okay. Kim is right. You're the teacher. You are observing the progress your student is making. And it's okay to adapt to their mastery as you go along, too. So the nice thing is on the internet, very often you can see samples of a text, even if you um, don't have it in your hand. So you can look and know whether there is some adaptability in that. Like some curricula might require you do every single thing in order to get a concept because it's building. Everything is one thing after built on another. So um, look at the samples is a good way to know if something's adaptable. Very good. All right, cost and then appeal and then academic strengths and interests and adaptability goals. Goals is kind of this, this bigger, globally vaguer kind of word. And for people who tend to be very linear and black and white, it can be an unpleasant one. And they think, well, the goal is to do our ninth grade curriculum and finish ninth grade. That's the goal. That's a good goal. <laughs> That's but a good goal. You can think a little more than that. Talk, talk about goal setting for high school, Vicki. So you think about first, do you have a kid who is definitely college bound or definitely not college bound? So some kids don't know. And if that's so, you want to do at least some college bound stuff so that the doors that stay door open. open. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But there are some kids who are born to go into the trades, you know, or, or some other not college necessary stuff. Military and, missions. So we have all kinds right, of kids. So, yeah. so why kill a kid? 
with extreme academic rigor and you know honors level stuff when really they need to be learning you know home maintenance and you know the life skills and get training in a specific area so that the goals really start with college bound or career bound very good and then within that if you've got college bound and you know that this is this is a kid who wants to go to college but isn't exactly sure what they're going to want to do when they get out that's okay you don't have to know when you're 16 what you're going to be doing when you're 40. Which is a, a good reason why homeschooling high schoolers should all do some career exploration. Mm -hmm. So just so that they start to get to know themselves and the way that God made them and to be assured that God has a plan for each of them and their job is just to be faithful in the exploration. I actually did that, uh, our curriculum, with a group of students this fall. And one of the moms uh, bumped into me in the parking lot the other day, and she said that um, she wants her kid to do that every year mm -hmm. because she mm -hmm. thinks really they grow and change so much that either it will be sort of a confirmation or it will be another chance for them to explore different avenues right. each time they look at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like the personality tests. Those are fun to take oh, periodically so just to remind yourself. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Good Absolutely. Stuff. Good stuff. Okay, then a final consideration is what form is the curriculum actually going to take? Are you going to develop your own? Are you going to use a traditional textbook? Are you going to earn credits with Carnegie Hours? Are you going to use paper books? Are you going to use e-books? Are you going to go in a group setting? Are you going to do an independent learning project? There's so many ways to attack any individual credit on the transcript. So um, let's, let's talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses of group versus individual learning. Let's start there. How, could, how should a, a parent decide, this is a subject that I'd really like to see my kid do as an independent learning project? So, well, some things are fun to do in a group. Like world languages, I think, golly, that is just so mm -hmm. much fun to, to do in a group. For my kids, especially my more intro introverted kids they needed the group setting for the thinking kinds of things because it helped them get their words out mm. so to have a good teacher that really inspired them and then my extroverted kids just needed a group setting because <laughs> they needed the hustle they wanted bustle. to play oh, yeah. that's right they needed so, to be energized yeah yeah so the um you know when we look at what our kids are it, it helps us decide a little bit about that also some courses are just let's just get this thing done mm -hmm. and we want to do that individually just plow through this silly thing yeah. I, I did our human development two different ways I've done it in a co-op and I've done it individually and it when I did it individually it was for my, one of my introverted kids who just wanted to check the box and get it done really had very little interest and we just plowed through and it worked for him it was torture for me because I'm an extrovert <laughs> and, and I knew so much fun to do with a group well yes. and I knew we were missing the richness for in that particular case and then we did it again. Sabrina and I and a couple other families did it together as a co-op, and it is still one of the highlights for my oh. kids and for me. And for the moms, yeah. Yeah, oh, we, we, had, we had a blast doing that in a group because so much of it is, is it just lends itself naturally to, so let's experiment with this. Or So what happens if we acted this out? What would We had this wonderful preschool play experiment after they had studied the chapter on the developmental stages of, of toddler through up to preschool. And, oh my goodness, I, I still just, it's like such a warm place in my heart to see them run with that lesson. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And we had these fabulous conversations about, when we did, talked about the teenage years, very open, candid, 
respectful conversations with them about how we parented them and what they felt they really grew from based on what we did and didn't do and that sort of thing. And it was really, really beautiful. So, but so cool. for some kids, it's nice just to plow through a curriculum and that's their thing. And some, it's better to do it in a group because there's not one right way to homeschool. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. How about textbooks versus logging Carnegie hours? How do you kind of decide that? In the non-core courses, Carnegie's a fun way, like phys ed or, you know, some electives, you just log the hours. So if you want some information on that, check our post at sevensistershomeschool.com on how to earn credits. So it's a, uh, just a guide on how to do that. But the core courses, very often you want to follow a syllabus or use textbooks so that you have a good... Um, like syllabus, like a framework. Framework, to yeah. Thank you, thank you. Good, yeah. good, good. Okay, and then how about the, the the debate is now over paper versus digital. Ten years ago, it was a non-issue. There was no digital, and people say that in another ten years there will be no paper. Well, I don't believe in that actually because I think that there are people like me who just love paper. So I think paper is going to find a way to stay around, but. Digital resources are abounding. Let's talk about the pluses and minuses of paper and digital. I like paper because I'm old. And <laughs> <laughs> but my, as my youngest son was telling me, most of his college textbooks, because he's just finishing his sophomore year, um, most of his college textbooks now are digital. He, there is never a printed or paper copy. Everything stays on his desktop. Wow. So, that, you know, to get kids ready for learning digitally, mm. having some digital experiences in high school is really a good idea. It, it is. It's great. My, my girls, I have found that they still have the option for most of their courses of digital or paper but they were really perplexed when it came time to making that decision because they had really never used digital. We had, we'd used plenty of Seven Sisters curriculum, but we'd always printed it out and used it on paper. And so they found like, they just weren't sure, is that gonna work for me? How's that gonna be for taking notes? And, and they're getting more and more comfortable with it. But I think in retrospect, they wish that they had done some digital in high school. Yeah, I know for us, um, probably the number one thing that held my kids back with doing digital stuff was me because I was a little bit nervous about it. And we didn't have a lot of money to, to buy lots of technology. It, you know, I, I, we weren't a home where every one of the kids had a, a, a laptop during high school. And now in many cases that, that is there. Um, but I think some of us moms have to get over our own tech fears mm -hmm. and recognize that, yeah, we're, we're actually probably crippling our kids for what comes after high school graduation if we keep everything on paper while they're in high school. So true. Yeah, it is It is a, a digital world, yeah. and that's really important. Okay, so to kind of wrap things up in uh, giving you some, some a framework, there we go, for figuring out how to choose your high school curriculum. Consider the cost. Consider the appeal. Consider the academic strengths of your students and their interests. Consider the adaptability of the resources that you are purchasing. Consider your overall goals and your kids' overall goals. And consider the best way to present material in groups or individually, digital or on paper, uh, Carnegie units or traditional textbooks. All of these options are open to you. It's part of what is so much fun about homeschooling. Indeed. So you get to choose.
and we encourage you to come by sevensistershomeschool.com. There are so many posts there dealing with choosing high school curriculum and figuring out what is going to be the best fit for your family because there is not one right way to homeschool. Indeed. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. While you're on the website, make sure that you scroll down on the homepage and enter your email address and subscribe to the newsletter and get some cool little freebies and value-added things that show up in your inbox periodically. And hop over to iTunes, please, and oh, yes. give us a review and some stars. That would be mm-hmm. really cool. We like stars. We and like subscribe stars. to the podcast, too. Indeed. Yeah, and then it comes right to you. And also check out the other podcasts on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. There are some really wonderful resources, and they're there, and they're free, Indeed. and they're fun. They so are. Take advantage of them. Well, we thank you for joining us, and we look forward to the next time that we can be together on the Homeschool High School podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. See ya. Bye.